I have told you all before that I spent a lot of years uh, working at a camp in North Carolina. And one of the attractions there was something like a 30-foot jump-off tower at the lake. And that may sound like nothing to some of you daredevils out here today, but to me, I might as well have been jumping into the Grand Canyon. Over the years, I did it enough to sort of get over myself, but so many of my campers needed the oomph of peer pressure to get them to teeter and then finally fall over the edge of that jump-off tower, the edge of that platform. I can re- bottom sort of staring up at the campers and starting the jump, 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 jump chant in hopes that we could just coax them from the platform in this exhilarating ride down to the lake. But so many times, and you've probably all faced this at some point in your life, so many times they'd run into that invisible wall right at the edge of the platform and they'd turn back. But sometimes with eno- enough manipulation and coaxing, they'd bust through that invisible wall and take the plunge. So just up front here this morning, I want us to hear the gentle coaxing of Father, Son, and Spirit through God's Word, specifically in Matthew 28. They're not shouting, jump, but they are whispering go into the hearts and souls of all of us who would claim Christ this morning. And my prayer is that each of us would take the missional leap that Jesus commands all of his followers to take. Mission and vision is what we're going to be talking about this week and next. Now these two words, if we're being honest, are probably overused in our churches today. They become a little cliche. I think we can overvalue them in a really unhelpful way. But I do think, I do think it's important for us every once in a while to gain fresh perspective on what we're even here for, what we are here to do as a church. It's kind of like the difference between being down amongst the crowds at the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade in New York City that you see every year on your television, or being on top of one of the tallest skyscrapers in the city and looking down at the parade. They're both enjoyable with their unique perks and their unique vantage points, but only from the top can you gain this perspective of parade from beginning to end, the whole thing from start to finish all at once. So to follow this analogy, we spend most of our year down in the crowd, in the nitty-gritty, incrementally working our way through various books of the Bible, line by line, chapter by chapter, book by book, and so we should. But for today and next week, we want to climb all the steps of our philosophical skyscraper and gain perspective for all that goes on here at Trinity Community Church. Get a little perspective And try to understand why we do what we do and what it is that we as individual Christians are called and supposed to do. So what has Jesus called Trinity Community Church to do? Why do we exist? If you have a bulletin this morning, you can see it at the very top. Trinity Church exists to glorify God by making and mobilizing faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. This is a purpose as small as your neighborhood, the little cul-de-sac that you live in, and as large as the 7.6 billion people in the world right now. Real quick this morning, if you're here and you don't consider yourself a Christian, first, we're so glad that you're here. Thank you for being here. I'm going to be really upfront with you today, though. Our hope, our deep desire is that you would become a Christian, that you would follow Jesus, that you'd repent of your sin, 
that you put all of your trust in Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection for the forgiveness of your sin. We deeply desire that for you. We're convinced, utterly convinced, that following Jesus will lead to your best life now. Not necessarily the most wealthy, not necessarily the most free of sickness, not necessarily an easy life, but your best, most flourishing self is only found in Jesus. And as you can see, this is our mission at Trinity, to introduce the world to Jesus, to plead with the world and to plead with you, to plead with me, to follow Jesus with our whole life and to accept his gift of redemption. So Christians in the room, do you think your life matters? Do you really think your life matters? Do you genuinely believe that there is a purpose for your existence? You've lost sight of Or if you haven't contemplated I want, you, I want us all to think again this morning. We want to consider your purpose and how that wrapped up in the purposes of Jesus and his church. You might have noticed that our mission at Trinity flows directly from Jesus's great commission in Matthew 28, and I'm going to read that for us together now. Uh, If you have your Bibles, I don't even know what page it is in the Pew Bible. Can somebody call it out? Turn to Matthew 28. What is it? 835? 835. Matthew 28 in those in the Bible right in front of you, and I'm going to read verses 18, 19, and 20. Page 835, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. The very end of Jesus' life here, he's about to drop drop the mic and head to heaven to sit beside the Father. Jesus comes to them and says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So this is God saying to each one of us as individuals, don't hear this as words to the church in general. Hear this as a whisper to your individual heart. God is saying, I have a purpose for you. I have uniquely designed you and uniquely placed you. So go. And do what? He says here, make disciples. The goal of our goal is people who, with all of their lives, follow Jesus into wholeness. And this is exactly what the disciples who heard this in that day actually did. Real quick, I just want to back up real quick. Just after Jesus gave this commission to his disciples, I want to back way up and just start onto the on-ramp of Trinity Community Church, the ancient on-ramp. With help from others who've kind of described this history, I want to observe our church's history. And I put all of this on screen because I thought it might be easier for us to follow along if I did this. So here goes our history lesson for this morning. In Jerusalem, AD 30, 50 days after Jesus' resurrection, the Holy Spirit fell on the apostles, giving them power, purpose, and a plan. Out of joy, the church was born. Empowered by the Spirit, Peter gave his first sermon, and 3,000 hearts were transformed, hearing, receiving, and repenting. The young church walked in unity. Peter and John then continued to spread the gospel through the preaching and miracles, and the church grew by 5,000. Around AD 34, on the road to Damascus, the Lord transformed the heart of Saul, a man who persecuted countless Christians, and Saul became Paul. In AD 44, the believers were scattered because of the persecution. 
the, centers, uh, the center of operations for Christianity turned from Jerusalem to Antioch, where Paul and Barnabas were sent out on their first missionary journey. On his final missionary journey, Paul traveled through Galatia, Phrygia, uh, and Ephesus, encouraging the disciples in the cities. He then spent three months in Greece before traveling to Jerusalem, where he was arrested. After 28 chapters, the story of Acts comes to an end. Yet the story of the gospel did not stop there. Out of joy, the church multiplied. In AD 80, Christianity spread further to the countries of France and Tunisia. Twenty years later, the first Christians were reported in Algeria and Sri Lanka. By AD 150, the gospel reached Portugal and Morocco. Christianity found its way to Austria in AD 174, followed by Switzerland and Belgium. In AD 328, the gospel reached Ethiopia. Almost 200 years later, Pope Gregory I sent Augustine of Canterbury and a team of missionaries to present-day England, and within the first year, they baptized 10,000 people. In AD 635, the first Christian missionaries arrived in China. In AD 740, Irish monks brought the gospel to Ireland. But it wasn't until AD 90 that missionaries reached the country of Norway. Out of joy, the church multiplied. By 1200, the Bible was available in 22 languages. In in 1491, missionaries arrived in the African Congo. And the first church was located in Angola. A few years later, Kenya reported its first known Christians. Meanwhile, in Spain, Pope Alexander VI wanted to send Catholic missions to the New World. As a result, Christopher Columbus took priests with him on his second journey to the Americas. In 1531, Franciscan Juan de Padilla started his mission work in Mexico City. By 1550, John Calvin sent French Protestants to reach the people of Brazil. In 1640, Jesuit missionaries finally reached the Caribbean, landing on the island of Martinique. Out of joy, the church multiplied. The early 1700s saw the rise of the Great Awakening in America, where both George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards stirred revival throughout the colonies. In 1845, Southern Baptist Convention formed in Augusta, Georgia, and decided to take the gospel out west. Eventually, the gospel made its way to Louisville, Kentucky, where almost 150 years later, Sojourn Community Church would rise up, out of which Trinity Church would be birthed. But I'll get back to that in a second. In June of 1936, the congregation of Roslyn Presbyterian Church withdrew from the Presbyterian Church USA out of an unwavering commitment to the inspiration and inerrancy of the Word of God. The following month, 99 dedicated members met and agreed to reorganize as an independent church, adopting the name Faith Community Chapel of Roslyn, later becoming Faith Community Church of Roslyn. Initial gatherings of this new assembly were held in the home of Mr. and Mrs. R. L. Reeves, must have been a big house, and later they began to gather in the Roslyn Fire Company, just up the street here, until November of that same year when God made provision for the building of the facility we now occupy today. In 2010, Mark and Elise, Brandon and Bethan, Nathan and Laura, and Clint and Alex stepped out into the unknown, miles east to plant a church right here in the suburbs of Philadelphia. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, they by the sustaining grace of God, heard the command to go, and they went. In October of 2011, Trinity Church was birthed. Seven years later, and a lot of highs and lows and baptisms and fears and joys and tears later, they were confronted with an opportunity to link arms with an older church that had spent almost 100 years obeying the commission of Jesus that we just read. God saw fit to knit Trinity Church and Faith Community Church together into one church. Trinity Community Church was birthed in March of 2018. And even since, 
Out of joy, the church has multiplied. And here we stand by grace. This is so cool because the Great Commission fueled and formed the early church. It's the entire reason you're even sitting in the very spot now in this moment. Because men and women through the ages have been faithful to speak hard words of hope into the real hard lives of broken people. These ancient words of Jesus paved the gospel paths that made our little church a reality. We're here because of the Great Commission, and we're here for the Great Commission. That's our mission right here in Abington. So that if the Lord tarries for a thousand years, some church somewhere in this world will be able to trace their spiritual heritage back to our willingness to jump off the ledge when Jesus says, go. The history of our church is really just the history of faithful individuals sharing the good news. Individuals like you, year after year, decade after decade, down through the millennia. Trinity has been beautifully woven together by God with the ancient threads of his people's obedience to this commission that we're reading and talking about today. So let's spend the next couple of minutes breaking down the first half of our mission here at Trinity, and we'll cover the second half next week. First, Trinity exists. You see that on your bulletin there. Obviously, a mission statement tells us what to do. But I think maybe one of the most underestimated pieces of a mission statement is what it tells us not to do. There are good things that we as an organization, a church, are not called to accomplish that individual Christians are called to accomplish. So think about that nonprofit organization. There are a number of them represented in the room right now. But think about specifically one maybe who is desperately trying to fight prostitution, or maybe another fights child slavery, and yet another digs wells in the jungles of Africa. These are all wonderful, amazing, necessary things. These are things that we should care deeply about as individual followers of Jesus. But these are not the specific things that the church as an organization is called to accomplish. Now hear me, hear me carefully here. These are certainly things that we believe that individual members of churches are called to give themselves to. Heart, mind, body, and soul. They're wonderful, honorable, necessary causes. We should be passionate about them as Christians. If you have no passion for justice or mercy or love to be shown to those in need, who need it most, your heart isn't like Jesus' heart. Together, we want to work hard to close the gap between what the Bible offers and the world's lived experience. We want to close that gap. Instead of waiting for heaven while we're still here on earth, we want to work hard to bring heaven to earth. That's what Jesus prayed for. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. But anyway, there are a lot of things that we as individual, individuals or families or even groups of believers should be getting behind and supporting. But these are not the things that Trinity as an organization is going to do in Abington or in the world. Because our mission, you can see it there, is to make and mobilize faithful disciples of Jesus. That's our very narrow mission. But still, we, we need to ask ourselves, as a church and as individuals this morning, if Trinity Community Church ceased to exist, would Abington be worse off 
because there would be fewer disciples making disciples in Abington. Is that true about your life? Is it true about mine? If Trinity ceased to exist tomorrow, would we even be missed? Some of us need to straight up repent this morning. We've gotten lost in the complexity of our lives and relegated Jesus to 10 a.m. on Sundays. We need a radical reorientation. We need to hear the voice of God this morning through Matthew 28, pushing us out to the edge, the redemptive edge of the lives around us. And we, we have shared beliefs here. We should have shared beliefs. You can read them in our statement of faith. We rehearse them in our, uh, in our family meetings when we read our covenant together. And I think that's great. But if we want to be the kind of church that Jesus calls us to be, that Jesus wants us to be, we can't just have shared beliefs. We need to be united by a shared love, a shared passion that sort of works itself from the inside out. So this morning, I don't want to talk about changing what we do necessarily. I'm talking about God meddling in our business and camping out in our souls and changing who we are. It's our prayer and our deep desire that we'd be united, not just by a shared belief, Things that we affirm, a list of things that we affirm, but by a shared love, a shared passion to see Jesus use us to take the brokenness in the world and make it whole by sharing his good news with the people who need it most. Together, we want to work hard to close the gap between what the Bible offers and our lived experience. But church, we cannot manufacture this. This is not a man-wrought thing. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to do this. Do you know how much you need the Holy Spirit? I think if we knew, I bet our, I bet our Sunday morning prayer meeting would be packed. But it isn't. It's because our need for God, I stand with you, our need for God is the easiest thing to forget but it is also the most tragic thing that we forget. There will be no gospel progress in your life. There will be no gospel progress in the life of this church without God's prayed-for presence. No gospel progress without prayed-for presence. Do you believe that this morning? Does your prayer life reflect that? Mine doesn't. By God's grace, it will begin to reflect that more. So as an organization, Trinity Community Church exists, and probably most obviously, it exists for God's glory. Trinity exists for God's glory. This is the most basic and fundamental part of our mission. God's desire, we heard it this morning from Justin, God's desire is that his magnificence would cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. That's from Habakkuk 2. Trinity exists and labors toward this same end, the glory of God. God's mission is his glory. And ours is the same mission, God's glory. Third, Trinity exists to make full disciples. Look at verse 19 there in Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now look, making disciples doesn't necessarily mean you moving overseas, though it might and should mean that for some of us. Making disciples also doesn't necessarily mean adding things to your already crazy calendars, though it might and should mean that for some of us. Really, 
what it means, making disciples, is doing what you already do with gospel intentionality. You don't have to retreat from how you're gifted or how you're wired, your personality. Your calling in your life right now is not valued by whether or not it's vocational ministry like mine happens to be. As Christians, we're simply called to live out the gospel and make disciples in the ordinary paths of our lives, wherever those might lead you. When you think about it, this is actually the most effective strategy that there is for getting this work done. The only way God's glory is the whole earth is if we each value our individual callings and our wirings and our giftings, and we continue in those paths. You have to make God's glory visible in your spheres of life. And I have to do the same. I'll never meet some of the people that you know best. You'll never meet some of the people that I know best. It's God's way of spreading his fame and glory and the hope of the gospel. We all have unique paths that we walk with unique friendships. You might be the singular person that God has for someone in your life right now to lead them up to that redemptive edge. There's a story of a new Christian coming to Martin Luther who lived five or six hundred years ago, and this new Christian asked him, hey, I have just become a Christian how am I supposed to faithfully serve the Lord as I have now just believed in Christ? And Luther asked him, well, what is it that you do? What do you do for a living? And he said, I'm a cobbler. I make shoes. And Luther said, then go make a good shoe and make it at a fair price. So you've become a Christian. Many of you have been Christian for, Christians for a long time. Now what? Go to seminary? Is that the next step for you? Not for most of us. What Luther is saying here, what I am saying is, go make shoes. Go do you. Do whatever God has called you to do. Go make the best shoes you can and sell them at a legitimate price. And then get to know your coworkers and love them into the light along the way. Engage redemptively with them. Here's an interesting insight from the Gospel of Luke. If you were to carefully read Luke from cover to cover, you'd notice a very important missional pattern in the life of Jesus. In almost every instance, he is either coming from or going to a meal with people. Check it out in Luke. He's constantly connecting with people in ordinary ways, like eating. Meals were one of Jesus' primary means for mission. And the point here this morning is not that you need to be having X amount of meals with people who aren't Christians on a given week. The larger point in the question is, are you actively pursuing contexts in which you can engage unbelievers in a relationship that will lead to gospel conversations? Followers of Jesus. Do we know how many kids are dying? Do we know what kind of addiction is spreading? Do you know how full our prisons are? Do you know how much sexual and opiate bondage is out there? Do you know how many marriages are on the brink of collapse? How many teens are on the cusp of suicide right now? A Jesusless existence is a dark, forsaken, hopeless path. Together, we want to work hard to close the gap between what the Bible offers and the world's lived experience. This is not the time to lose desperation, Trinity. 
This is the time to go in all the more and to plead with God, to hear him whispering, go, 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 and to take the risky, glorious plunge. Let us not grow civilized. Let us not be lulled to sleep by our moderate but still exciting growth here as Trinity. Praise God, the room is a little fuller than it used to be. Things aren't quite as dire, are they? Things seem a little less pressing, don't they? It is not less pressing. People need the Lord. So I'm begging all of us to cry out and pray and plead with God to do something we can't, but so often act like we can. My concern is that as we've grown older as a church since 2018, and a little larger and maybe even a little wiser through some bumps and, and lessons that we've learned, my, my concern is that we slowly slouch into a disposition of presumption upon the Lord. We don't want to presume upon the Lord. My concern is that the desperation that, that led in those early years of our churches to fall on their faces and beg God to do something that was inexplicable, to wet the carpet with our tears and say, God, please, that attitude has vanished into, hey, we're the little church that could. Look at this. There's new people everywhere. I don't recognize you or you or you or you. It leads to a certain kind of comfort, doesn't it? But the situation is no less dire. People need the good news of the crucified and bloodied Lamb of God. They need it no less. God, help us if we're slouching into presumption upon, upon the Lord. Look around you in this room. Glance around. You can look out of the sides of your eyes if it feels weird to look around. Look around you. You. We are God's big redemptive plan to deliver the word of God to the world of God, to introduce them to the Son of God for the glory of God. It's us right here. We are God's redemptive plan. We are the God-sanctioned big solution to the big mess that our world is in. It's us. <laughs> kind of a lame solution if you think about it, but it's God's solution. He wants to use us. He wants to use you. Through his word, the Spirit is prompting all of us to go this morning. Many of us in here have encountered the living Christ in a very real way. The one who left the glory of his throne to endure the wrath of the Father to live in a broken world and die a violent death and be victoriously resurrected in our place. When we consider this good news, the good news of the gospel, when we do, it should so take us that we can't help but be taken with the needs around us so that we can bring our loved ones, our friends, our coworkers, at the very least, into an encounter with the same Christ introduce him. They need to hear us say, hey, here's what's true. You got to believe it. They need that from us. So ask yourself some questions this morning. When is the last time you stepped off the ledge in faith and took a risk and just engaged someone in conversation? Perhaps that would prayerfully lead to a redemptive conversation. When's the last time that happened? doesn't necessarily mean Jesus comes up in the first conversation, but you, in the back of your mind, know and you're praying, Lord, I'm, I'm engaging with this person because I want to deliver the good news to this person. Second, when's the last time you invited someone who needs Jesus into your home to share a meal with you, just to bless them? Here's some good food. 
Enjoy. When's the last time you invited a friend to share a Sunday right here with you? When's the last time you accepted an invitation to hang out with coworkers after work with gospel intent? When's the last time you said more than hi to your neighbor? Let me share with you a little failure story here. I remember a couple of years ago when I was deep in prep for that particular week's sermon. Miriam came in, it was a snow day, and Miriam came in from doing something outside and mentioned that our next door neighbor was snowblowing our sidewalk. Immediately, the spirit prompted me to go out and just engage this guy with conversation, just thank him, and just strike up a, a friendship and a conversation with him. We had relatively recently moved into the house, so I didn't know him or didn't know him well. But, and I said this was confessional time, all right? Uh, I uh, politely declined the Spirit's invitation at that moment. I said, God, I'm right in the, in the thick of sermon prep. And if my memory serves me, I was right in the thick of sermon prep about a sermon that dealt with mission, engaging your neighbors. And yet I found a way to decline politely the Spirit. I don't have the time to break away right now. I've got to finish this up. So I continued typing away, busily, busily trying to quantify for the church what the mission is and how to do it. Meanwhile, mission was being left undone on my doorstep. Now, the Spirit is alive. He's real. He kept prodding me, and eventually he punctured through my callous heart. I put my coat and my gloves on, and I walked down the street, and I struck up a convo. And do you know what? That's all we're talking about. He didn't bend on his knee and accept Jesus in that moment on Susquehanna Road. He just struck up a friendship, a friendship that will hopefully continue over months and years that will lead to me sharing the good news of Jesus with him. That's all we're talking about, is talking with people with the intent on eventually getting to the gospel. Imagine with me, if you will, after some of these faces that you might be thinking of right now, whether it's a coworker or a neighbor or a family member or whatever, imagine with me that they have decided to follow Jesus. That person you're thinking of, singing and shouting the praises of the Lamb right next to you. They'll be baptized and mobilized to live a life of faithful discipleship to Jesus. Maybe right here at Trinity. Make it so, Jesus. Make it so. And as we wrap here this morning, I want to notice some very hopeful brackets that surround this commission that Jesus gives to us. It could feel like we're getting crushed this morning under the weight that we can't sustain, and you would be right were it not for these two brackets. The first is in verse 18, and the second is in verse 20. Bracket one is this. It's Jesus's cosmic power. Look at verse 18. Right before he gives uh, the commission, he says, look, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So go do this. Jesus doesn't just task us with the Great Commission. He empowers us to it out. That's what John Piper says about this. He says, without this declaration of Jesus' authority, we could never venture confidently to make disciples. On what possible basis do we have any right to tell anybody they should change their whole way of thinking and acting and become a disciple of Jesus Christ? Only one thing could justify such an outlandish proselytizing all over the world. It's this, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and has been given an absolute authority over natural and supernatural forces so that every human and every angelic being will give an account to him. All authority 
has been given to Jesus so we can go in confidence. That's bracket one, Jesus' cosmic power. Bracket two is Jesus' gentle presence. Look at verse 20. Behold, I am with you always, even until the end. I remember at my former, former employer before coming here to Trinity, there was this annual bring your kids to work day during the summer. I was never actually able to bring my kids, so there's never no clever and funny story here to follow, just to warn you. But, of course, as a parent, I've primarily thought about this day as a, from a parent's perspective. Not until this past week did I think about it from the child's perspective. I thought about it in terms of how would I occupy them all day? What if they find what I do boring? If I don't want to go to work with me, why would they ever want to come to work with me? But uh, what I hadn't done, at least until this last week, is consider it from their perspective. For them, it's not take your child to work day. It's I get to go to work with daddy day to them. They love it. It's so special. It's an off-the-charts perk to be able to sit with daddy and observe him, to watch him work, to eat lunch with him, to be with him while he stares at spreadsheets. It's so special. I bet at some point in a child's life there's some kind of cap limit to this, like an age cap limit. I don't know where that is or when it is, 13, 14, 15. At that point, it is not cool anymore. I wouldn't expect this illustration to work then. Hey, kids, I'm heading to work today. Want to come? Uh, it's met with eye rolls at that point rather than excitement, right? But for those younger kids, it's a, it's a wonder and a joy to sit in a cubicle with dad for eight hours. As Christians this morning, our Heavenly Father wants to take us to work with him. He's like, hey, I'm going to work today. I'm going to save someone. Do you want to come? Hey, I'm going to work today. I'm going to take someone's brokenness and pull it back together. Do you want to come? You haven't aged out of that, have you? It's not met with eye rolls, is it? You're not so comfy in your American way that this Great Commission is an eye roll for you, is it? For Christians, every day is go to work with your daddy day. Just keep your eyes open and your soul in prayer, and God will lead you right to where he wants you while you're making those shoes. I don't know if you've considered this, but the best part about living on mission is that it's exactly the place where Jesus is. Living on mission is living with Jesus. Here's what Leslie Newbegin said. He said, I think that the deepest motive for mission is simply the desire to be with Jesus where he is, on the frontier between the reign of God and the usurped dominion of the devil. Let me read that again. The deepest motive for mission is simply the desire to be with Jesus where he is, on the frontier between the reign of God and the already usurped dominion of the devil. He's already beat. Let's take the the victorious news of the gospel to these people. To be on mission for Jesus is to be on mission with Jesus. On this frontier, on this risky edge of redemption. You may not know it up front, but by hosting a meal with friends or unbelievers or by sitting down for coffee with a coworker, you may not know it, but you may just be playing host to the frontier of redemption in someone's soul. So as you creep up to that edge of redemption, don't don't turn around. Don't slink your way back down the ladder. Go. Send the text to that friend today. Invite them to coffee. 
Go to lunch tomorrow. Send the invite tonight. Because listen, when you're on mission, as scary as it might be to you, you are never alone. You're with Jesus. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There will be difficult days, heart-wrenching days, costly days. You'll want to find your identity and purpose somewhere else. But don't, because the cosmic authority and the gentle presence of your Savior is with you. So, Trinity, by God's grace, let's live out this mission together to make and mobilize faithful disciples of Jesus. Will you pray with me? God, I pray that you would do something here. Move in us, move among us, move through us. Give us your strength. Give us your courage to speak. Use us as you want, no matter the test. We pray that your kingdom would come. You would use us to shrink the gap between our lived experience and God's experience for us and for this world. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it already is in heaven. Help us do that until the whole world knows your name so that everyone might know your name until your sovereign work is done. Amen.